Servus und herzlich willkommen to the first episode of season six of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is the flagship show and I'm thrilled to be welcoming the one, the only Tom Adams to join me, Schnitzel, on stage. You know, we just love doing podcasts together because we are the self-proclaimed fan favorite duo and we always, you know, pride ourselves in delivering BFW's best content. And not just that, we are also an award-winning podcast, as you guys know. So uh, definitely not going to take all of the credit because that's Chuck Smith's job. I'm going to let Tom take over now. How are you doing? How is everything looking your side of the Atlantic? Very good. I mean, overall, very good. But at the moment, as I mentioned to you right before we started recording, it's like raining all day here in Connecticut. So not a great day. But as I mentioned, I got some seven aside in yesterday. I got plenty of sun. My skin is definitely still recouping from that and like the humidity levels. But always fun to have a run in outside. Uh, in addition to the indoor league I do once a week. Um, and contrary to Chuck Smith's belief, it is not a beer league. It is just uh, adult leagues. There's no <laughs> beer. Um, actually, have not been drinking much beer myself lately. Just kind of like happenstance. Wow. But the occasional uh, vice beer and good German beer, like I'm never going to turn that down, especially on a hot summer day if it's with a nice meal. But as you know, Schnitzel, just FC Hollywood. There's no shortage of stuff to talk about in our transfer uh, rumor mill, so to speak, and there's just so much going on. And I know we're going to get into a lot of it. We're maybe not going to address ad nauseum the elephant in the room that is Harry Kane. We don't want to pull a Ulihonis, yeah. right, and say, hey, we're not going to talk about transfers or, uh, you know, the, the big moves that we're trying to make and then proceed to talk for 10 to 15 minutes about Harry Kane. And I think right at this point, that. our listeners, they're just going to be kind of really bored and annoyed at, uh, Everything we've been talking about is Harry Kane. And everyone knows, right, that it'll take time to get him here. It's going to be a negotiation nightmare between Daniel Levy and Bayern's management. And it's quite possible that we also don't land him. So I think it makes little sense to constantly talk about it every single podcast. I think we have to, you know, go for something else, something different. Like, for example, Bayern's defense situation, which we haven't been so optimistic about. And guess what? We're set to lose another defender. And Benjamin Pavard, another fantastic versatile yep. defender. And we're going to get, allegedly, a 33-year-old from Manchester City named Kyle Walker, who plays for the English national team. What are your thoughts on this potential transfer swap? And, uh, I mean, yeah, just just give us your thoughts. Yeah, everything with me, with Benjamin Pavard, has been so peculiar. Like, going into the season, you remember last summer, it basically seemed like he was all but certain that he definitely wanted to leave the club, especially under Julian Nagelsmann. And we all know that he has a preference to play center back or whether that's one of two or one of three, depending on if it's a back four, back five, or a back three, because we know that he can play a center back in any of those setups as he did often at uh, Stuttgart. But then, you know, with the injury to uh, Luca Hernandez and how long he was out for, Pavard got did get a, a lot of run-ins, I should say, whether it was at uh, center back alongside either Upamakano uh, or Delict or both Nagelsmann and Tuchel at different times utilized back three systems, which Pavard was always uh, often one of the center back three, most often on that right side, right? Because we have Delict as the left footer and Upamakano normally in the middle, but this one is a little bit peculiar for me because. I honestly thought that with Hernandez on his way out, and there was even rumors, right? I don't want to bring in another name to this, but uh, rumors that Nusermaz Rawi was uh, a little bit unsettled with his lack of minutes. And unlike Gravenberg, he came on a free transfer from Ajax, so there's less uh, loss-cutting, if you will, if we were to not hold on to him. But I think I agree with what Didi Haman recently said. I know that he says a lot of controversial things. His opinions aren't like universally accepted, uh, if you will, in the Bayern fan community. But I, I do think that Maserati has a lot to offer. He was very unlucky with getting that pericarditis after the World Cup with Morocco. But with the rumors of his unrest, I thought Pavard really honestly might reconsider staying at Bayern, but it seems like he's still bent uh, on, on leaving. And I thought it honestly was going to be maybe for PSG or somewhere in the Premier League that he hasn't experienced. Um and it turns out that that's right. I didn't think it would be a swap deal, 
But I guess the only thing, the, the obvious thing, Schnitzel here too, is, is Kyle Walker's age. There's no denying his pace, versatility for both England and Guardiola at Manchester City, being able to step up in the midfield, being able to play in the middle of a back three. But, you know, I don't want to rant too, too much here, but I, I guess Bayern are, are very convinced that it's going to work. And I think they're probably thinking, hey, we have a guy with this level of experience in all competitions. And we also have uh, still have Masrawi and Stanisic in the ranks so we can kind of help mold these guys. Almost like we were talking about the last time we were on the episode. So we're the younger strikers being able to learn from Kane if he winds up coming. Yeah. So I guess that that's probably part of their thinking because I know the age of Kyle Walker is one thing that's uh, a huge consideration for a lot of Bayern fans. Yeah, I think uh, that's very true. And uh, yes, uh, Phil Quinn, among others from Bavarian Football Works, might not be very happy when you mention a 33-year-old being quite old. But in footballing terms, it is... Hey, I'm only one year <laughs> behind him, so... And oh, I definitely yeah, I feel it after, after some 30s? of my matches. Like oh, I yeah, told you, seven yeah. aside yesterday, my legs are feeling it. And you can see the way <laughs> I'm sitting hunched over right now. Even my upper body is feeling it from yesterday. <laughs> wow. Are those wow. knees cracking and, you know, your hinges just, you know, working, working, working themselves you out every single time? Right. Like Snap, Crackle, Pop, you know, the three characters from Rice Krispies. <laughs> yeah, this, uh, the sound you make whenever you, you know, do agility training or something. <laughs> just just yeah. cracking and popping at every joint. Yeah, yeah. Um, jokes apart, I think... Footballing years for a defender are different uh, compared to footballing years in other positions. Uh, defenders usually hit their prime at around uh, age 30. If you're an early bloomer, then it could even be earlier than that, like in the case of Van Dijk or Luca Hernandez. But usually, like we've seen the likes of Chiellini and Diego Godin and a bunch of players, top quality defenders who, you know, bloomed after their 30s. So... It's it's actually not as much to do with age uh, with regards to Kyle Walker as a defender as much to do with the pace that he relies on, you know, when playing in the fullback position. And I'm pretty sure that's going to dwindle very soon in the coming years. And not just that, I think Benjamin Pavard is a fantastic player. He's very high quality. And it's a shame that he doesn't want to stay at Bayern, right? And I believe that the player should play in the position that the coach wants him to and not dictate his own position. David Alba wanted to say in that, if you remember, he wanted to play as a midfielder and very soon ended up leaving Bayern. And Benjamin Pavard, well, if right back is the best position he can serve Bayern in at, at some point of time, then he has to do it. If he has to step in at centre-back, so be it. But he, I don't think any player has, you know, uh, should have uh, a lot of say in the position that they would like to play in because that's what the coach decides after all. So all things considered, Benjamin Pavard always had one foot out the door. And I think that this was something that was inevitable. But it certainly does suck that this is a swap because we probably would be giving 15 million for Kyle Walker and we would expect to get 30 million for Pavard, 30, 35 million. That would leave us with just 20 million. And I honestly don't think Kyle Walker is worth that much money. If he was a free transfer, well, that would I mean, be a different thing. I, I do think we're supposed to get the $15 million plus uh, Walker for Pavard because, he, yeah, he, like you had mentioned, he is valued around $30 million. Yes. Um, And I'm pretty sure that's in euros. Um, And I, I was just going to add, too, like the one, I don't know how you feel about this, Schnitzel, whether it's a superstar like Lewandowski or, you know, a, a seasoned veteran like Thomas Muller or uh, one of the leaders of the club like Manuel Neuer. Joshua Kimmich, but the one argument I will empathize with a little bit from Pavard, if we remember um, earlier in the season, like when he was given his interviews, just the whole argument and the uh, rationale of, well, I've won every possible trophy that I could possibly win here. For me, uh, that's one. I mean, I do like there's no more like Steven Gerrard's or, uh, you know, John Terry's of the world. And even John Terry, you can't even say because he wound up going um, to a couple different places in England, but like just playing for one club for the majority of their career. I mean, I guess I don't know how you yeah, feel. Yeah, like uh, but when, when he brings up that or Michael Royce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, there's no other trophy he can win at Bayern. So, I mean, I guess fair enough if you want to try and win some of those trophies elsewhere. 
I don't know if you feel yeah. the same as far as like a little bit of empathy towards that argument. I I think uh I mean if that is part of the thought process then there's nothing we can do about it but if that's truly the case then most Bayern players would probably be feeling the same and I'm talking about not just the you know players who are not part of the German national team but even the German players right like uh Leon Goretzka Joshua yeah. Kimmich and a few other players uh I also think a part of it has to do with how Benjamin Pavard fits in the club and just uh, you know, just recently lost his best friend, Luca Hernandez, you know, just moved to PSG. So yeah. there's one less Frenchman out there, one less French defender. So all in all, I think Pavar sees this as the right time to secure a big move to another club, get that bag and try and get a salary bump. And Manchester City happens to be one of those few clubs that, you know, just has this endless vault of gold and money and stuff flowing, you know. By gold, I just mean the the golden sheen on oil. (laughs) So it's just an endless vault of cash and it's just super huge pockets. And they would be able to give him a much higher salary, I believe, than what Bayern is currently offering him. So, And if this swap deal does go through, I'm really curious to see how he does against some of the pacey wingers in the Premier League. Because I don't know about you, Schnitzel, but in a foot race, Kyle Walker versus Pavard, I'm probably going to put my money on Pavard. Really? Benjamin Pavard? Oh no! Oh my God! Oh my God! I meant to say Walker. <laughs> that I don't is okay. know how. I don't know how no, I did that. But second, I think. I think everybody. Second, I everybody like. I think everybody yeah. naturally knew what I was going to say. I don't know why I just slipped up there. Yeah. Um. In, I, in, I in thought... my mind, I was getting. I was getting ready to say like the counter argument. A lot of people would say is like, oh well, Manuel Akanji wound up playing like left back, but I think that was just out of necessity because uh, of injuries they had elsewhere. Um. But yeah. Oh my God! Like that is like one of the worst slip ups. Obviously, I I'm was taking the, Kyle Walker in a foot race. Yeah, I thought that was uh, possibly one Sorry, of the after man. effects of the beer from the beer league game <laughs> that Chuck. Yeah, the, the non beer. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna just blame the sun from yesterday. Mother Nature, much more powerful yeah. than even Germany's finest beers. Mm. I would, uh, I would, I would not. No, nobody's gonna argue with that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, but yeah, no. To, much say, to my point, like I, yes. I don't know, I. I just I, it's easy. It, uh, like so, hindsight's always twenty twenty. So I could literally be sitting here and then all of a sudden myself be looking for Pavard to get into my own fantasy Premier League team. Um, but you know, in the on the offset right now, like I just it's hard to picture him like in a foot race chasing uh pacey wingers down. You know, like I think putting the Liverpool Kyle Walker. On, like, it's tough to see him chasing down Mo Salah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. I think uh, Kyle Walker, if he joins Bayern, is yeah. a really good fit because he can play that offensive right-back position that Bayern loves, you know. Uh, an offensive yeah. left-back, an offensive right-back, both of them just bombard up the pitch and also have the pace to recover, which is really good. But Kyle Walker is nearing the twilight of his career, the end of his career, and uh, he doesn't have a lot of mileage left in him. We are just getting him as a veteran presence, and I think Basrawi should be the starter and Kyle Walker should be the bona fide um, depth option, the backup option in case of any injury problems. Not just that, just as a veteran presence to step up when needed. So it's it's a good move for depth. But I I really don't think that Kyle Walker should be worth that much money. But if you're getting 25, 30 million in cash, plus Kyle Walker for Benjamin Pavard, that's a pretty decent deal. And I think we would need to replace Pavard anyways, right? So I think that's as good as it gets in the transfer market right now, unless we want to spend a lot on a young right back, which I don't think Bayern wants to do. We already have Masdrawi, so we just need depth right now. We need someone who will be happy to take the bench, but also contribute at a really high quality level in the Champions League, for instance, when you know the stakes call for it. So this is a pretty decent move, all things considered. Yeah, I'd have to agree. Like, I have I have no major qualms with this or no major uh, discrepancies. And plus, uh, you know, one thing, Thomas Tuchel from his time at Chelsea definitely has a, a lot of familiarity with Kyle Walker. Not to say that other managers outside of the Prem don't do their homework, but um, I definitely feel like that adds to it when you have specific situations and game plans where he's preparing to face him, especially at the highest level, like Champions League final. And this is probably another way of the buy and saying, hey, Harry Kane, look, we're getting your fellow teammates here from England. 
I think it's time for you to make the move. You're not going to be alone. You're going to have other people and obviously English Tom as well from BFW making you feel at of home. Of course. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he has company. <laughs> and uh, oh, 100%. I think uh, that that's, it's, that's, that's nice to hear. And that's that brings us to the conclusion of our first topic of discussion, which leads to, you know, talk about more exits and there's another player looking to leave the club and this was a player who you were so excited to see join so it's so heartbreaking that it's possible he leaves the club just after a season here and the player i'm talking about is sadio mane and i'm sure you'd like to say something on this uh reports are that al nasser want to sign him uh you know to join them at saudi arabia for a reported fee of around 25 to 30 million euros which i think is pretty good I'm not sure if, you know, this can be verified 100%, but I believe the agents have already held discussions with the players' uh, agents, the player side, and personal terms might be agreed very soon. So what do you think of this move and what are the implications for Bayern's front line? Yeah, it's just another another player that's kind of a part of this, like, exodus, mini exodus, if you will, of players, like, not yet of, like, nearing retirement age to the the middle east we've seen a lot go like especially even more liverpool players fabinho jordan henderson was it uh minkovich savage just went there um yep. al nasser is looking to buy obviously mane and they had that that miniature ban if you will put on him and i say miniature because it wasn't a lot of money that they wind up owing or that they currently owe to Leicester City for something regarding uh, Ahmed Musa back in 2018, uh, if, yes. if a lot of you guys can vaguely remember that. But this is a, another, like, I don't quite understand if it's funny if they're on un, other underlying force that's pulling a lot of the players to the Middle Eastern League and specifically Saudi Arabia, or if there's, like, a promise that the league is going to be much bigger in the future. Um, but, but anywho, I'm, you know always have been of the argument that Mane had a lot of things working against him. It was Bayern's first season playing without a striker that can guarantee you 30 to 40 goals. And we saw how well and how fluid Bayern's and it, how interchangeable, I would also add, Bayern's attack was in the first couple of weeks of last season, the DFL Super Cup, yes. uh, the first yeah. couple of matches in the Bundesliga. Yeah, and he was, I mean, yes, he was caught off sides a lot, but I mean, I honestly think that could have been any other you know, Pacey Winger that would have joined us in the same summer where we lost Lewandowski and they might have run into the same issue. Um, yes, he could have scored more goals, but, you know, five goals in his first eight matches is not bad. And he was not the only one who was, you know, missing chances and getting caught offside. It's not as if he's the only one and he's like the major outlet man. Like, yes, he did sometimes play centrally for Julian Nagelsmann in the beginning phases of the season, but by no means is he the only player that was uh, guilty. I think just because he was a new signing for a decent amount of money from Liverpool, who, mind you, uh, you know, I know people hate me talking about Liverpool and the fact that I'm a Liverpool fan, but the what was almost the historic quadruple last season, if Liverpool fans and Premier League fans can remember, like Mo Salah, towards the end of the season, he really, really tailed off. And Mane yeah. was one of the guys really pulling the weight. I've seen arguments on Twitter that Mane's finished. Like he was a huge part of the almost quadruple and, and the domestic double, if you will. Yes. You know, even though it was just two PK shootouts against Chelsea, but um, he really picked up the weight when a lot of our, the other uh, attackers on Liverpool were misfiring and Luis Diaz as well. You know, what a signing he was in the really close going to Tottenham before. So, like, I don't understand. I mean, the injury maybe has affected him more than he thought it would because Mane, right, has never been the same player. And he just kind of, I think, fell victim to both Nagelsmann and Tuchel just using other players and those players hitting for him, like Chapamotang, you know, I think Leroy Zane was very good in sporadic bits. Kingsley Coman, I think, really came out on on fire and this case of Serge Gnabry like the man will go quiet for you know like four months and then all of a sudden just pop up with yeah. like, straight fire it's when like we need it uh so like, goals, I think it's just more of that and yeah three so I mean I guess in two games or something like that and then he goes back into you know hiding and then yeah and then the assist club. for the uh yeah. he had the assist for Musiala's 
game winning and title winning goal against FC uh, Coons. Yes. So it's like, yep. what better time to step up and do something when it's actually needed? But yeah, so I think all those things just worked against Mane, and I understand it's not an empathy business; it's a it's a winning business. So you know, if the club decides it's the best interest to offload him and he does actually want to go to Saudi Arabia, which it sounds like he doesn't. And like, he wants to be a part of the Asia tour for the preseason at the end of this month. I mean, then, then so be it. Uh, you know, I trust the club. And at the end of the day, regardless of my allegiances, the badge on the front of the Jersey, it's <laughs> significantly and exponentially way more important than the player itself. So, um, yep. you, you know, if, if it's if it's the right move, it's the right move to offload him, reinvest that money elsewhere, and then best of luck to him if he does wind up getting offloaded. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, for me, it's actually very more simple. I would say it boils down to just four or five arguments overall, but obviously there might be so much that they discuss behind the scenes. Number one being that assault, the you know the violence against Leroy Zane. That oh yeah, yeah, really, the slap. yeah. That was that was a very very you know, bad incident and the PR did a very shoddy job of, you know, trying to patch things up. And I also think that uh, both sides, uh, and especially Mane's side, you know, blaming the other players for his dip in form and really stupid stuff like that, and actually making him play the victim after, you know, just going all out and being violent. I mean, there is no excuse regardless of, you know, whatever happened from the other side for violence of that fashion in a professional football club like this, you know, in in such a big stage when people look up to him, he has so many people, you know, looking up to him as a role model. He just cannot use that platform and, you know, do something violent like that. So I think that painted a very bad picture of him among the club's supervisory board. And then comes, obviously, like I mentioned, the players' PR team painting a very bad picture of Bayern's squad, making, you know, causing his dip in form and maybe not supporting him enough or something like that, not providing him with balls. Uh, then, obviously, the whole situation with him being offside all the time, which is so frustrating, like, almost almost became Bayern's team owner, if I may. And that just, that, that was just... <laughs> That, that that was really sad, you know, the entire season. Just I think he made a Bundesliga record the previous season, if I remember correctly, for most offside goals. Like most goals called offside after they were scored. And that's 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 mind numbing. That's <laughs> insane. In the first fourteen games, I believe he had nine offside goals. That's crazy. You you really should yeah. try yeah, you really sh- should try and improve your positioning. I think and and maybe he couldn't adapt to the pace of the game. Maybe he was too quick, or maybe he was just, you know, not so good at reading the situation. And then comes the factoring in to the, you know, Tuchel's picture and what he wants at the club, who, which players he wants to play and what system he's going to employ. I think considering he might play a back five, Mane, who is not really a prototype striker, he is more of a wide forward, like Mohamed Salah, which worked really well at Liverpool because they had one wide forward on both wings, right? So it was two wide forwards and Roberto Firmino allowed to play in between the lines. And after yeah. Diogo Jota joined, uh, Mane left to join Bayern. So it's not similar to what we saw at Liverpool. At the beginning of the season under Nagelsmann, uh, Gnabry and Mane were employed in a similar fashion. But when Shubham Morting started playing as a striker, Mane had to play, take more of a winger role, and that didn't work well for him. So I think he is not in Tuchel's plan, plans. I think that's fair. So all of these things considered, and the fact that Al Nasser has a pretty decent offer and some good interest, this might be a good time for both parties to part ways and for Mane to get his uh, big salary bump You know, towards the end yeah. of his career. Yeah. And I also look at it, too. I don't remember who was recently talking about Ryan Gravenberg. I, I want to say it was Lothar Mateus, um, but don't yeah. quote me on that. You know, I. But he was speaking about basically with these reduced pockets of minutes that he gets, it's, you know, you create a situation where with that reduced time, the player, and in this case, Gravenberg, wants to make as much of an impression as possible but as we know, sometimes, especially in the midfield, that center mid position with distribution, less is more, right? Um, like, especially 
I always like, especially in preseason matches, I thought he was really good in tight situations with his back to a defender. And especially as a, as a player myself in like those pressure situations, not to say it's at Bundesliga or Premier League or, you know, European level, but it's tough. You know, you have to be very quick on the turn, you know, make the right body movements to make sure you're mitigating the risk, especially when you're in your own half. Um, you know, whether you're turning to your left, your right, you want to make sure there's enough space in between you, the ball and the player to make sure it's a, a low risk maneuver. But, you know, with the reduced minutes, he tries almost too hard to make an impression and that can create an environment where you're not doing the simple things and you're just thus not doing exactly. the right things and you're yes. almost getting knocks against you to the point where you're not going to get you know, called upon again. And I think that was a, a little bit of the situation with uh, Mane and uh, even Leroy Zane, I feel like, is a player who sometimes falls victim to that and a little bit too much, you know, not using his teammates to the point where two seasons ago he was getting jeered. Our own fans at a match against FC Kuhn, uh, Kuhn, sorry, uh, at the uh, Allianz Arena. So, but a little bit different situation for him. But yeah, I kind of yeah. feel the same for Mane, more so just the second half of the season when he was getting those minimalistic chances behind, you know, a lot of the other wingers. And it's a, it's a tough situation to come back from, especially from a mental standpoint. You know, you just have to sometimes keep it simple and do those things right. Just do them at pace to make sure they work. Because if you try to do too much and it doesn't work and then it puts the team in a bad situation, you know, 3v2s on the counterattack or 2v1s, catching people out of position uh, with your holdup play as, you know, reinforcements kind of push up to try and join you, it's it's just bad for the team and then you're not going to get picked. Precisely. I think that situations where you have so many players vying for one or two positions, you really have to do your best to showcase as much as possible within those limited minutes. And that might put some added pressure on the players to sort of showcase their flair and other unnecessary things that might complicate the game too much. And I think you might also recall uh, Mikhail Kizon's time at Bayern München. And, A you step know, over King. Exactly. He focused so much on step overs and on, you know, uh, showcasing his flair and his technique that he forgot the most important thing, which was as a midfielder, he needed to think quickly and make those progressive passes. He needed to hold play and he needed to dictate tempo. And he didn't do any of those things. And eventually he ended up leaving, you know, leaving the club for, I think, lesser than we, you know, bought him for. So that was a shame. And I had a lot of, you know, hope for him as a player because we signed him from Mönchengladbach and he was their best ac- academy prospect. And it just didn't turn out well. And I think it's the same with many of these players. You know, they just even recently in uh, some reports from, I think it was Sport Build. Uh, I think it was Kerry Howe reporting. I'm not sure. Probably uh, not not 100% accurate. But uh, memory, if memory serves me right, I think uh, Build reported that uh, Tuchel in one of his recent uh, training sessions was shouting at uh, Muziala to keep it simple. You know was taking too much time to dribble around and not actually release the ball at the right time, which we've seen him do yeah. multiple times this season. So this is a recurring problem, especially with the youngsters, you know, who are more into these attacking midfield roles or midfielder situations. And they just don't have as many minutes, like you mentioned, Ryan Gravenberg as well. So you just need to make do with, you know, the time you've got and try and create the best impression. But sometimes that just means you have to keep it really simple. Yeah. As I said, sometimes the the secret ingredient is less is more. And especially Snitzel, as someone who plays center back for my indoor league team, like you can imagine uh, the kinds of, uh, you know, risks that I pose if I try and dribble out of the back instead of making the proper pass or playing it back to the keeper. Or if I try and play a uh, line splitting pass that gets intercepted and it's uh, immediately a counterattack. Yeah, definitely yeah. hear it from my teammates in those situations. But, you know, a lot less on the line than when. So are you one of those? <laughs> are you one of those aggressive defender types that just loves to go in with full on challenge? Or are you more reserved and, you know, use your timing to stop? stop I would say or... this is a perfect answer to this question, because everything we've heard about Kim Min Jae is that he does the things well that don't get really recorded by stats. Uh, and oh, I would okay. say more like him. Cutting down the angles, calm in possession at the back. You know, indoors a smaller pitch. Um, I'm not yep. sure if you have them um, in in your neck of the woods, but wait, definitely not 90 by 120. Not a full size pitch. It's a lot smaller, only seven aside, and 
in those games where it, the game was a little bit faster, uh, at least on the teams that I play on, we like that's why I like to go back there is because if you have a player back there who's not comfortable on the ball, it's just disaster. They can't make the right passes. They panic and they just boot the ball forward, clear it, get rid of it, or kick it out of bounds, or they just uh, wind up losing the ball and it creates a very, very bad situation for <laughs> for the team. And then the other yep. team has a very, you know, uh, 2v1 or, you know, 1v1 with a goalkeeper, that is, and it usually results in a goal. So I definitely cut down the angles. I try and force players wide so they have a negative angle. So if they even get like a half half centimeter on me to get a shot off on the goalie, it's a tough angle, and my goalie has a better chance of saving it than the goal than the shot does of having going in and, and um, the keeper I currently play with now, I've played for a while and he's very good with communications to say like, get out of the way, like said, don't block his view or, you know, take a, take a stab. Cause it's always sometimes when it's three V twos or three V ones and you're the one uh, and the, just the keeper to beat after that, sometimes you just have to take a stab and force the player wide and, you know, hope that it bides you enough time to get more reinforcements or cut down his angle. So I would say definitely more Min Jay and not someone like uh, your favorite player, Sergio Ramos flying into the challenges. And they do have a wow. rule like indoor, you did not say indoor that. on the turf. <laughs> there is uh there's no slide tackles allowed too. So that definitely uh, I've been, I've been whistled a few times out of instinct just when a, a player goes to shoot and I kind of get down and stretch my leg out and I always forget. And then it's a free, a free indirect kick for the other team, which is always funny. You know, when it's like 15 yards out, when it's indirect, you know, do you set up a wall? Do you not? Like, what is the other team going to do? But uh, enough about my indoor league. Beer ball, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and also, yeah. amen amen to everything you just said. I think uh, Upamakano could learn a thing or two from your defending tips. And hopefully, he yeah, doesn't maybe, uh, give us... He doesn't stay give in front a, instead of whiff. He doesn't give us a redo of what we saw against Manchester City this season. You know, just one player blowing all chances of an entire team single-handedly. It was... Absolutely miserable. And obviously, large yeah. part of that blame goes to Thomas Tuchel, but you cannot defend like that. So, you know, here's Tom giving you tips, guys. Just uh, make notes, you know. When the pros talk, make <laughs> yeah. notes. Yeah, yeah. And then <laughs> speaking of speaking of pros, uh, Thomas Tuchel is being tutored by the management as uh, being the, the man that they, you know, are going to bet everything on and they're going to back completely and basically make him a team of his wants, of his wishes, and just give him everything he needs, all the all the parts and tools uh, to win the Bundesliga, the Champions League, and the TFP Pokal. And we all know he's not going to do that. So <laughs> how long do you think uh, Thomas Tuchel is going to last at Bayern? Question number one. And question number two, do you think he's the right man for the job? So especially in the spirit of us oftentimes in the past being glass half full. So a little bit more of an op optimistic duo than some of our other counterparts or uh, colleagues, I would say not to throw them under the bus, but you know, uh, justifiably some, some of the other uh, podcasters and staffers have more of a, a pessimistic view, but I mean, you know, as history has shown us, there are a lot of things to worry about. So as I, as I mentioned, justified in their own rights, but, I actually think, you know, it was a two and a half year contract that Thomas Tuchel signed. I genuinely believe he will fulfill the full contract. Um, maybe, maybe just two seasons, actually, uh, by by virtue of mutual agreement, if there's not some kind of extension, just so that it's not, you know, going into like uh, a season where a manager or, you know, he only manages halfway through one season. I know it's still lined up to to cover it. Uh, to the end of seasons, but if there's no extension involved, I think there might be like a mutual understanding when he does uh, eventually move on to go elsewhere if it's not a sabbatical. But, and I actually, and this is just solely judging off of the the lines of communication. I feel, I don't know if it's just a matter of necessity because for a lot of accounts, last season was considered such a disaster, and it was really just down to Dortmund doing a, another bottle job that we got the the Bundesliga title and, um, you know, failed in the German Cup and and failed in the Champions League. Even though we had very unfavorable draws, and as we saw, the team that came in second in our group that we walked all over in the group stages wound up going to the final against the team that, that knocked us out. So. In obviously, I'm referring to Manchester City and Inter Milan. Unless you live under a rock, you would have known that. <laughs> um, 
but the reason schnitzel i say lines of communication like i don't know if it's just more of the fact that both uh prazo hassan salihamidic and uh, oliver khan aren't there but you know they were doing kind of this uh power balance scale you know weeks ago about Bayern managers that have had the most power, especially in terms of uh, transfers. And it seems like Tuchel sits in on these transfer committee meetings with the new look front office, which Jan Christen Driesen, and now we know Karl-Heinz Rummenigge is back on the supervisory board, and we now know how many strings, I shouldn't say strings, but how how much Ulihona still weighs in on big decisions, especially in, in the transfer market. So with the evidence of just how things are going, you know, all of a sudden, I mean, I... I I know that a lot of people can sit back and say, hey, you're linked with a big striker or a big name player like every summer, and then it just winds up being fairy tale folklore. But this does seem to be very concrete with with Harry Kane and the fact that Tuchel's only been here a short time, and now all of a sudden, a lot of these links are really realistic, and we've already got Conrad Limer. I know that that was mainly Nogglesman's doing, but we've already secured Kim and Jay, even though it's not officially official by the club because Napoli is, uh, you know, they did something incorrectly with his contractors release clause yeah. or whatever it may be um Just, uh, rafael guerrero and then the fact that we're genuinely linked with you know a player like harry kane and then even i know it's like kind of farcical but the the shoe of many links just the fact that we're linked with players that are worth 100 million euros it just leads me to believe that tuchel knows what he's doing he's communicating his ideas clearly and they're in concert with the front office that's currently constructed i know there might be a lot of changes with that i mean it's my understanding the club is still in the search for a new sporting director even though they aren't pressed for time but uh, i do think tuchel can be successful here you know especially with his experience in the bundesliga um coming close to nipping Bayern, uh maybe one or two times winning the german cup that one time I know his exit from Dortmund was more to do with his uh, squabbles with the front office, especially uh, with, with a lot of things that went on. And then the, you know, the bus bombing and the decision with UEFA and Dortmund's front office like did not go down with him to go ahead and play that match as scheduled. It was just one of the nails in the proverbial coffin. But Schnitzel, yeah, I don't know if you're going to disagree, but like just based off the evidence, you know, how serious things seem to be right now. Like I know that it was a little bit of a rocky start, but I genuinely believe he can get off on the right foot and you know especially if we wind up getting our, our star man and harry kane i know everybody's tired of hearing about that but just imagine if we pull that off you know how how good things can go and you know how much of a force we will be uh in in europe this season as much as i love whatever you said and as much as i wish it would be that be you know true and it would all be rosy i generally don't think that's what's going to happen and I consider myself a realist, to be very honest. And uh, as much as I need no name would tell you that he considers himself a realist, he certainly isn't one. He is a pessimist. I'm a realist. There's a difference. I believe that, you know, uh, at, at this point in time, and previously I have predicted many positive outcomes and they have come true to a large extent. I certainly didn't see Nagelsmann sacking, but I was actually, you know, pretty confident that the team would have a really good season if Nagelsmann saw it through till the end, which did not happen. He never got to see it to the end. And I've always been skeptical of Tuchel at Bayern München. And very honestly, the last two months of the previous season, Tuchel did have an opportunity to somewhat showcase to the fans and to the management what he would bring to the club. We didn't even have to see a major shift, a major difference and a lot of success. We at least needed to see a clear-cut plan and see something working. And honestly, nothing worked last season. If not for Dortmund handing as the trophy and, you know, committing the biggest bottle job in the history of bottle jobs, we wouldn't have that Bundesliga trophy. And we would be trophyless and very deservedly at that. We were convincingly beat in every single competition. And that was in the span of a few weeks. I did not see a lot of positives during Tuchel's previous season, that is the last two months. And I don't have a lot of optimism moving forward. I certainly think that he maybe should not be given this much leeway in terms of a say in transfers, because this is kind of, uh, I mean, it seems to me like Bayern are trying to do what City has done with Guardiola, which is, you know, 
basically given him all the leeway to build his own team. But the difference being Bayern doesn't have the open, endless deep pockets that Manchester City has. We have a cap on the amount that we can spend. So that means Tuchel has to play, you know, the players that he deems are good for his positions. But that also means we can miss on all the top quality options and end up with options that are not that good, but available at a lesser price. And what he's doing right now is he is potentially alienating players like Masraoui who are feeling disgruntled. You have reports of other players wanting to leave the club, like Leon Goretzka, which we might discuss very shortly. Then there are some rumors of some other players joining that might be surplus to requirements, like Chuomeni. Why do we even need him at Bayern Munich? Like, it just doesn't make sense, you know? So it doesn't paint a very good picture for me. And uh, I guess I'd I'd pose this question to you as a... Why is it mo- mostly just circumstantial off the basis of, you know, all the shortcomings last season getting knocked out of the cups way sooner than we'd like? But is it s- just circumstantial that Tuchel is like, it seems like he's been given like the master key for transfers, this transfer window, as opposed to any transfer windows in the past? Or why is he, uh, as a manager, get given so much more, uh, I don't want to say leeway, but... um Power, I guess, would be a better Authority. word. Like why? Yes. Yeah, like yeah. why Authority. couldn't why couldn't yeah. Nagelsmann or Yapankis or Ancelotti or any of the other previous managers, Nico Kovac, why why didn't they get this kind of uh, authority? Do you think? Do you think it is I, just all circumstantial? I have the same question actually, but I also think that Bayern, uh, in in one sense, genuinely believe that Tuchel can go the distance, especially because he has a Champions League. And yes, he won it with Chelsea, and it was one of the most boring Champions League runs in history. It was just, you know, defensive football all the way, just, you know, happy to concede, you know, a very, very small number of goals and sacrifice the attacking output. But they did win the Champions League with that same tactical, you know, toolkit. And Tuchel did really well in that regard. And he, oh, and as an American, that... too, Pulisic should have scored in that final. He had that one big chance. <laughs> It yeah, would have been Pulisic, so big for our country if he had uh, if he had actually scored in that final. Americans would say that uh, Chelsea won the Champions League because of Pulisic. You know, it reminds <laughs> me of that video. Reminds me of that video where uh, there was this guy who was talking about a player who changed football forever and stuff like that, and then you expected you know him to show someone's jersey, and it ended up being Christian Pulisic's jersey. Do you remember that video? It became very famous on Twitter and whatnot. And this no, but like it doesn't surprise football. me. <laughs> yeah, they think he's the LeBron of. Oh yeah, he, the the dude uh, the dude proclaimed that this player is the LeBron of soccer, and then he you know proceeds to mention Christian Pulisic. Right? Jokes are, jokes well, apart. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I was just gonna say schnitzel. It's like I was telling you, explaining to non in the know Americans about the Gold Cup to all of the Americans who think that that's like our best team that we put out there. Like, well, where's Pulisic in the Gold Cup? Like, why are we losing to Panama? And I just, you know, it's, it's just like, where did I, I even begin? Yeah, I saw, I saw, uh, I, I believe it was a post on uh, on Instagram or Twitter. I don't remember exactly. It uh, mentioned, uh, oh God, no, 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 I forgot. Yeah, I think, I think it mentioned uh, Messi scoring less than one point a game. And that's how, you know, Americans talk about soccer, right? It's points, <laughs> not, not even yeah. goals. It's like, at least use the right terminology, man. Like, I know that you do not care about the other football, and the only football you care about is American football. But I think it'll be nice to know a sport and use the terminology that, you know. Like, imagine if someone said, you know, I don't know, punts instead of points in basketball. Or, yeah, I don't know, like pretty much anything but the right terminology. So... Uh, wickets instead of innings for baseball precisely yeah yeah or there you go or 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 innings instead of wickets in cricket right so like the other way around so uh it's i understand that it's not very popular in america like the sport but uh it'll be nice if you know the team for example the american national team could get some good backing and viewership because they have something exciting going on with all these youngsters so oh yeah 100 percent It'd be nice, you know, to enjoy this era of players. You never know if this is going to last for very long. The youth system is pretty good, but we don't know, right? 
why am I but going so, on uh, a tangent? Yeah, I was just going to say, yeah, so you kind of had the same question I do because I was kind yeah. of uh, lobbing the question to you to say, you know, is this actually a lot of Tuchel's doing with the, you know, yeah, the transfer no, authority think, and the squad visioning, or is it more circumstantial? I think I have an answer, and it is kind of a bit of both. I think that Tuchel, the management has seen enough in his previous tenures. At PSG, was very close to winning a Champions League. At Dortmund, that club performed really well the season before he was sacked. And obviously, at Chelsea, he won the Champions League. So he has the pedigree. He has shown results. I just am not sure if he's the right fit for Bayern Munich. Well, yeah, I mean, because a part of me is just even like, almost imagine if we had Hansi Flick without uh, Hassan Salihamidzic in the way, in the transfer window. Exactly. You know, like some of the guys uh, no, no. he might have wanted actually, to... Uh... Actually, no, I don't think so. I mean, do you remember Thiago Dantas? You probably don't remember him because yes, that's how insignificant he was. <laughs> oh, you I do. do. I do remember right. him. That, yeah, I mean, imagine Hansi Flick had his way and he brought, I don't know, Timo Werner and Kai Havertz and all those players to Bayern, you know? I know that if you well, ask Chuck uh, Chuck Smith, I mean, he yeah. kind of uh, pegs that if one does, as one of the main reasons Flick wanted probably, to uh, get out. After I'll probably get talking. fired for slandering Timo, but uh, imagine if Timo Werner was at Bayern Munich, you know? Like, yeah. I'm not sure. He definitely would have worked very hard to you know keep a spot but i'm not sure he would have been a good fit as a striker and no. i I, I think in general for bayern transfers have worked well and that's primarily because the coach has not had a complete say and complete authority in terms of transfers and i think yeah, that's until not now change. i i think i think that should not change but since it has under tuchel he really needs something to show up for it or else as in says he's gone by october so that's it I I I honestly do not have October. High hopes. Okay, I I I'm telling you that I think he might make it until uh, next summer. That's it. I don't see him beyond next summer. That's yeah yeah. It's just very beyond bleak in my summer. eyes. I also think there's and... a philosophical mismatch because I just can't see Bayern playing a five at the back, you know, for the foreseeable future. Like, he just comes and reshuffles the entire way Bayern plays football. I just don't see Bayern Munich stacking up this way. We have the roster to play a proper 4-2-3-1, morphing into a 4-1-4-1. We've also seen a 4-4-2 in the past. But a 5-4-1 or, I don't know, 5-3-2-1 is not the way to go, in my opinion. So here's a here's a big, here's a million-dollar question for you. I, I one, one could say a hundred ten million dollar <laughs> question for you, <laughs> and I think you know where this is going. After I say that, okay. So, if Bayern, if Harry Kane signs to be a Bayern player before beginning of September when the transfer window in Germany closes, does that make Thomas Tuchel's margin for error that much less? And does Tuchel get more leeway and more time if Harry Kane does not sign? And we don't get a striker. How about uh, that for a question for you? That's that's a resounding yes. If Harry Kane signs uh, before the start of the season, Tuchel gets way, way less leeway because there's more pressure on him to perform as a coach. You have all the tools you asked for. You have one of the world's best strikers and the best supporting cast. You simply have to deliver. If yeah, I mean, I mean. Obviously, Pep Guardiola has had more money spent on transfers, and his players are arguably of a higher quality. Like Haaland over Kane for me any day of the week. I don't know if you're of yeah. the same opinion, but for me, right now, Holland, especially on the evidence of like he can actually stay fit in England instead of in Germany, that yeah, exactly. 100%. Without a doubt, without a doubt, Haaland. So, yes, uh, Tuchel probably has a slightly weaker squad, but not in other positions. I think Kimmich is the world's best in his position. I think Conrad Lamer could bloom into one of the world's best. And uh, the defense, Delict, is amazing. He's yes. already got Kim Min Jae handpicked for him. Masrawi and Davies, are, you know, their caliber speak for themselves. And you have Muziala and Zani and Thomas Miller up front supplying Harry Kane. You simply cannot fail. That's where the margin for error becomes very, very, very thin. And Tuchel has to be very careful because if he doesn't show up with the results, I think the argument would be that Nagelsmann was put under a lot of scrutiny despite being in a pole position to win the Champions League, despite doing very well in the Pokal and only slipping 
you know, to second spot in the Bundesliga by one point. That was enough to sack him, right? Tuchel yeah. lost his two competitions and almost lost his third. And he still keeps his job. He has very little, you know, room for error. So if he doesn't show his potential, if he doesn't show that this team can win everything by this October, he's gone. As simple as yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, I would agree with you, especially with the uh, the Kane question. But I think that's a good segue even to our next topic, Schnosa, because I know you wanted to talk about the wingers and the presence of you know a world-class number nine versus not could easily change the complex because this is one position Bayern seems to always have like a plethora of world-class players with your Kings of Clemens, yeah. Serge Gnabry's, Thomas Muller, okay. who he okay, can't okay. play quick, on. Quick rapid-fire question. Uh, answer yeah. it really quickly. The first thing that comes to your mind, okay? Uh, Serge Gnabry, uh, sell or keep this season? Quick. Keep, keep. Just uh, it, it, just because of the fact that we already spent a decent chunk of time talking about Mane leaving and him leaving, I wouldn't want to lose two wingers unless you could guarantee um, a very, very viable replacement. And just as a realist, like I have not seen those links. That's not to say that I don't have trust in uh, our club to find the necessary uh, replacement, but yeah, I mean, if if we could just keep him around, just to have you know those goals at important times, even if it's just to win us the Bundesliga or help us win the Bundesliga. What was it like the last? Uh, you know, our board was convinced by his decisive goals at the end of the season. I think it was like in three of the last Perhaps, five yes. matches he scored in, yeah, and then obviously yeah. uh, assisted. Uh, Musiala's title winner. So, I mean, just for that reason alone, and I think that we've seen, especially in that sextuple season, how much he can he can offer. I'll 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 raise you that question in, in this next part to my reply, though. Like, it's a make or break season for him. Like, if he Absolutely. if he is uh, yeah. still streaky, I think it would definitely be time for Bayern to cut their losses um, and kind of cash in on him before his market value decreases too much. That's what I'm worried about. His market value is already dwindling, right? And I would say the same with Leroy Zani. He is a spectacular player, but he's just not showing up when the team needs him most. And I think based on how well they've been performing and how much they've been contributing at the biggest stages, like in the Champions League and in the DFB Pokal, we saw this. they just simply couldn't finish. It was frustrating last season. They couldn't finish when the chances were laid on a plate and when the stakes are so high. You have to perform if you're, you know, such a top quality player, if you claim to be one of the world's best. Yeah. And if you ask me right this instant, I would swap both, and I mean this, both Sane and Gnabry together in a package deal for Federico Chiesa from Juventus. I would do that in a blink. I so really get rid of those two just for both the Both players, yes, yeah. But... If I'm being slightly more serious in terms of financial constraints and how Bayern would do things, probably Gnabry plus cash for Chiesa would be an amazing deal. But considering Juventus just won't let their star player go, I mean, it's Chiesa. It's not, you know, some some random winger that we haven't heard of. It's not like Juan Cuadrado wants to leave Juventus, right? Is he, is he in Saudi Arabia? I don't know. But, like, it's not some rando. It's Chiesa, literally their best player. He is... Yeah, you know, Italy's one of one of the stars of uh, Euro twenty twenty yeah. for me. He was amazing. He's unstoppable when he's fit and you know firing on all cylinders. And I think if he joins Bayern, this attack will win the Champions League for Bayern with Chiesa in it. But that being said, Juventus won't let him go that easily. So I think if you're able to you know give both Gnabry and Zane in a package offer, that just might be lucrative enough for Juventus to maybe, you know, let us just swap them straight without any extra considerations in terms of money. Because at the end of the day, we want a player who will be that X factor for Bayern. We've always had such players after the loss of Robert Lewandowski, we've been struggling. Because we always had a player who could get us those 40, 50 goals a season. And that made things yeah. a lot easier. But now that we don't have as many X factor players. I mean, imagine the times of Robin and Ribéry, right? I mean, back in the back in the day, they just used to score goals at well. They just used to turn yeah. up at the most crucial moments, like you know, in the Champions League final against Dortmund. They were just there, you know, showing up at the biggest of stages. We do not have such players who will step up at this point in time. 
maybe Musiala, the argument can be done, but he still has to mature quite a bit, I think, in terms of... I guess even, too, the, there's always the concern, like the injury history of players in that Kingsley position Coman is pretty well. atrocious. Yes, yes. Come on, yeah, even yeah. Gnabry missed some time Gnabry, this season. Yes. Uh, Muller was yeah. out. I know that we can play him wide or centrally. I personally think he's best centrally right behind the most advanced player uh, and not as a false nine, though that man can play a number of different positions. You know, and yep. uh, even Musiala had been used up there sometimes, but I still think he kind of operates best in between those lines, in between the uh, the attackers and the midfield. Um, Leroy Zane, you know, he's had his injury troubles too. I think he had that hamstring problem earlier in this season. Um, so, I mean, uh, for that reason too, like I think you'd always want to have uh, the depth there. Uh, so I guess there'd be some concern with uh, your first offer, which would be what uh, Zane and Gnabry for Chiesa. I, I would assume Bayern would probably ask for some cash uh, in that event too, even Absolutely. though, both, as we mentioned, Gnabry yes. and Zane have had market value dips in from the past couple of seasons, especially considering what we were prepared to pay Manchester City for Zane before he got that cruciate ligament injury uh, that, one, uh, that one summer. Well, it, it was the summer still, but it was like, I think it was the Community Shield against Liverpool where he yeah. actually had that injury, like literally like seven minutes in. So, I mean, that like helped because us get a little bit of a spray. price reduction. Yeah, the nasal spray. Yeah. The red matter is, yes, yeah. Never forget that, yeah. But, but... Yeah, but, so, I mean, I, uh, for I mean, depth reasons, you know, like the injury history, you know, especially if we want to compete across all fronts. And it to me, it always, as an avid watcher of both the German and the English League, it always seems like... Uh, the Bundesliga does a way better job about utilizing all five subs. I don't know if you feel the same. Yeah, I think so too. I do. I think with with the English English leagues, uh, it's not just about you know utilizing the substitutes. It's also about letting the star players get more game time. I think because the margin to slip up is way less. In the Premier League, for instance, they just want, yeah. like, for example, a club like Tottenham, right? When are you going to see them substitute, uh, you know, Son and Kane unless they're, like, up by five goals? Similarly, yeah. similarly, you can't say a club like Arsenal, like Liverpool, when do you think, like, when they had Mane and Salah in the club? Do you think they used to get subbed out often? I don't think so. They used to play pretty yeah, much every single be, game, right? Yeah, there would always be backlash if Salah got taken off and we needed a goal. Precisely, yeah. Because, yeah. you know, like Le- Levy is one of those players. He could have an absolute, you know, sh- I was about to say the S word, absolute crap, <laughs> Eight, 89 That's minutes, and then bang, get you that uh, decisive goal in the 90th or stoppage time. I think, so, I think, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's, it's 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 all about how Bayern handle you know their depth like you mentioned in the front front uh, three or four players but considering Muziala can also play as a winger it won't be the end of the world if we give up two wingers for a world class x factor type winger so and and schnitzel for i hope you're just not saying with the margin fair i hope you're not saying you know the premier league is way better than the bundesliga and the bundesliga is just a farmers league i hope you're not saying um, that I think I think both <laughs> leagues are farmers leagues, but right now I actually think in terms of quality, <laughs> in terms of quality, the Premier League is better simply because the Bundesliga outside of Bayern is a bunch bunch of bottle jobs. Like I seriously cannot take any of the other Bundesliga clubs seriously. They are not here to compete. The, it, it, it's crazy. Like I I so was frustrated with Dortmund's campaign. Bayern deserved to not win the Bundesliga last season. It was all for Dortmund's for the taking, right? And then they just... It was frustrating. Oh, you know, if you Bundesliga were in Dortmund, Bundesliga you would fans, know. Cover it, yeah. pin your ears. You don't want to hear this. If you were but in Dortmund, I, I you almost, would know. It's agonizing. It's really agonizing. It's, uh, I, I think back, too, that's like a lot of these like false promises. I remember, was it two seasons, two seasons ago, Wolfsburg starting off really well when they had like Van Bommel and then they had to get rid of him? Um, yeah. They started off really well and then just tanked. Uh, RB Leipzig, their first season in the Bundesliga, they were like first at Christmas, I'm pretty sure. And exactly. then uh, bottomed yeah. off, and yeah. I think they wound up finishing third. Or, no, I think it was still second, but considerably behind uh, Bayern, and they lost, obviously, both the head-to-heads to Bayern. I think it was 3-0, think... and then like five, that crazy, was a 5-4, yes. the 6-4? We know where Robin it was. It was four. a 5-4 event, yep. Yep. Yeah, and then like uh, Dortmund this season coming off, like spending a decent amount of time in first, 
Uh, yeah, I was... Even Leverkusen some seasons, like right up there in the mix, like Eintracht I Frankfurt sometimes. I was most let down like, by Dortmund last season. Like I yeah. thought they were in prime position to win it all and then they just bottle it. It was it was miserable, and I think even Minchin Gladbach teams. in and around the uh, top four sometimes, and they always just seem to tally off somehow. Yeah, man. I mean, it's just two customary seasonal games against Bayern. Gladbach just turn up, you know, win those games, and then go back into hiding. Like, <laughs> if you want to compete, at least do it for the entire season, right? It's not just two games. It's almost like beating Bayern as their trophy. It's it's similar to what Tottenham hate... do in uh, the Premier League, you know, just beating Manchester City and going back into hiding after that. It's it's pretty much it's the like, same. Yeah. Equally for me on a personal level, it's just with that team, like between my fa- Bundesliga fantasy rotations of uh, Stindl and like Turam, Alessand Playa, Ben Sabaini, um, Jonas Hoffman. Like those are have always been some of their premiums. I could never get the combination of them right. I always get Ben Sabaini when he like you know, gets uh, a yellow card, Injured, yeah. like, misses, misses a penalty, gives away a penalty yeah. or something. Like, I know he's not even on penalties and he would find a way to get like, miss a penalty when I use him. And then like, I always miss out on Jonas Hoffman when he has his massive hauls. And then I miss out on Stindl when he's on penalties and scoring them. Uh, and then I miss out on Playa or Turam when either of them go off. So just equal uh, dissatisfaction with them in addition to always being Bayern's bogey team season after season, whether it's the uh, day of April call or the Bundesliga. I think speaking of Jonas Hoffman, he's going to be playing for Leverkusen. So let's hope at least that club can make better use of this player than Gladbach has been doing, you know, just to play against Bayern, just saving up all their energy for those two games. And then off they go back to the relegation zone. So embarrassing, really. (laughs) Yeah, and Speaking granted, Xhaka, uh, he didn't he didn't get enough of the Allianz Arena uh, earlier, so he had to go to uh, Leverkusen. So the Bundesliga is about to get a lot more yellow cards. Uh, and that's no discredit to him as a player or a man. I just that's just a, a a quick a quick little jab because he does get a lot of yellow cards. So you mean it's another season where none of the Bundesliga teams uh, make it past the quarterfinals? Yay! <laughs> oh, in the Champions I mean, League, like in the Champions League, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think Bayern. I think Bayern, Bayern realistically well. the only team yeah that has a chance if they land Harry Kane. If not, they're not making it past the quarterfinals. I really It'd be nice not... if we get a favorable draw for you know winning the group stages so handedly and not having the other like superpower teams randomly finish second. It's frustrating uh, yeah. in the group. Yeah, like Inter Milan, PSG like, uh, and then Manchester United, uh, Manchester City. Yeah, it's, it's it's a very very tough tough break, tough break. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyways, uh, no, I think we should end on a slightly more positive note that's more customary of, you know, our, our duo. So I think I, I, I'll just end by saying that I'm, I'm pretty confident that Bayern's going to land Harry Kane. I'm being cautiously optimistic, obviously, but I think the board will get this done. And if they do, we're in for a really good ride. I think it'll take a lot more than just simple Tuchel mess-ups to, you know, mess this up because... You don't have to be this, the best manager in the world to manage a team with such high quality. Like, Harry Kane, just play him up there at the nine. Give him the supporting cast and just let them work their magic. You know, Thomas Miller, Jamal Muziala are playing that striker with, you know, with really nice crosses and through balls. It's going to be nice. And the defense looks yeah. really revamped as well. So, hopefully good things are on the horizon. And just to add to the uh, optimism, I'm as confident as, you know, the way our board is making things sound, you know, because I don't think they would just say this stuff randomly uh, out of thin air. Like I'm as confident as their their tonality is with the the Kane uh, saga and the rest of the transfer window. So onwards and upwards, in my opinion. And I think uh, we're looking forward to a very positive season and we'll get a chance very soon here to see some uh, preseason action, maybe see some of the fringe players, see how fit some of the guys are uh, and whatnot. So I'm looking forward to that. Yes, sir. Let's hope you're right. Let's hope you're right. Anyways, it was a pleasure having you for this part, Tom. And uh, we are really thrilled to be to have done the inaugural part of the season with you. Uh, thank you all for listening as always. And uh, yes, we'll be back with more podcasts this season. Stay tuned for more Bundesliga coverage, more action, and obviously more transfer rumors. And will Tuchel get sacked by this October or not? Stay tuned to find out more. <laughs>
But till then, uh, thank you for, you know, listening to us. Feel free to like, rate, share, subscribe, uh, you know, on any and all podcasting platforms that you listen to us using, be it Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, Megaphone, and whatever else there is out there. And uh, obviously, thanks so much for the feedback. Please make sure to read the articles on Bavarian Football Works as well. And uh, give the BFW staffers a follow on Twitter if you, you know, happen to know their uh, Twitter accounts. I think for Tom, it's at BFW Tom, is it? No, it's Tommy Adams seventy one, but I never use that. I'm always on the main, the man, the, uh, the man the, behind the, the mask, so to speak. Twitter, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I do not have Twitter, as you all know. I think I might get threads because uh, obviously it seems like the better alternative to Twitter, and also uh, <laughs> Twitter is burning, you know, burning down. So I honestly don't know. Let's let's just wait and find out. Yeah, but uh, until next time, thank you once again for listening, guys. Uh, hope we sign a hurricane, and on that happy note, peeling down, can off be the end.